It is time for Legally Speaking with Michael Mulligan, barrister and solicitor with Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Joining us remotely today, Michael, how are you? I'm doing just great, not in self-isolation, so I can't complain. <laughs> indeed, indeed. At least none of us are yet, to some degree. Uh, speaking of isolation and the idea that some folks may not be able to fulfill their duties at their workplaces, especially if they're under the weather, proposed changes have been made regarding the Employment Standards Act. That's our first story. Tell us how all this works. Yes, there there have been a number of things that have been happening to this uh, act over the past uh, year and a bit. Uh, it's the British Columbia Employment Standards Act, which sets out uh, minimum terms of employment, essentially. It's the act which would do things like uh, provide for maternity leave or provide for um, you, you know various other conditions of employment, like notice or pay if somebody's uh, fired, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and it's one of those pieces of legislation which tends to ping-pong a little bit uh, as the province uh, politically ping-pongs between the uh, uh, sort of business party, whatever it might be of the day, and the NDP when they're in power. Yes. So we're, we're currently in the uh, ping-pong in the direction of uh, perhaps uh, uh, advancing the rights of uh, employees. And so uh, there was a report, a very large report, that was prepared by the an organization called the British Columbia Law Institute uh, that did a examination uh, of this act and discussed and proposed a whole number of possible changes to it, some of which have been implemented, others of which are proposed, and yet other things uh, are in that report but haven't yet been announced uh, one way or the other by the government. Some of the things which changed already that listeners may recall uh, last year were things like uh, increasing the minimum age of work presumptively from 12 to 16 years of age with some small uh, exceptions um, uh, and uh, some changes in terms of how tips were to be handled. Now, there's been another number of changes which are uh, currently uh, being proposed, one of which was a, a proposed change to permit uh, leave to be taken in cases of domestic or sexual violence. Um, and listeners may recall the uh, leader of the opposition, I think, uh, put his foot in the mouth, his foot in his mouth, uh, talking about that when he described it as leave for people in, quote, tough marriages or something of oh, that. Oh, yes, sort, I did right? hear about that, yes. That, that actually caused me to carefully read what was proposed, and it's in a bill called Bill 5, um, and that section deals currently, it provides for unpaid leave uh, in cases where people are dealing with domestic or sexual violence. What's proposed is to create some paid leave, some five days of paid leave in those circumstances. But, uh, and I suppose the debate probably ended with that uh, foot and mouth uh, uh, incident. But one thing they think is worth exploring there is just how broadly they've interpreted what those things are, domestic or sexual violence. Hmm. Domestic violence is defined to include things such as um, emotional abuse, which is defined to include threats respecting various things, including property or pets. Hmm. So I suppose if somebody said, I'm going to divorce you and sue you and I'm going to get the dog in the house, uh, you might get five days of paid leave to deal with that. That may not be what people uh, perhaps first came to mind when you think of the very serious topic of domestic or sexual violence. People might not 
uh, think that it would extend that far. So. Now, now help me understand this, because I know that in the case of, say, extortion, if the threat being made pertains to legal action, and that is not extortion, do this or I sue you is not extortion, where do this or I'll burn down your house, obviously a threat and extortion there. Uh, the example that you've just given us involves the bringing of legal action. Is that provided for in the statute? There's no exception for it. It's defined oh, wow. this way. Okay. It's defined as includes psychological or emotional abuse, psychological or emotional abuse by an intimate partner, including uh, intimidation, harassment, coercion, or threats, hmm. including threats respecting other persons, pets, or property. Hmm. And so the definition is so broad that I think a, a threat to uh, take the dog or to, um, you know, sue for property might well be captured by this concept of a threat involving a pet or a threat involving property, and if this passes, you would then be able to get five days paid leave. Hmm. So that's interesting, but in the current context of um, coronavirus concerns and the need for people to stay home or to uh, you know, self-isolate, one of the things which is absent from the long list of sort of hodgepodge reasons why somebody might take a leave from work, including all kinds of things like uh, disappearance of a child or need to care for somebody else in the home. Now, that might be relevant. Mm. We, BC does not have, and this is surprising, I think, uh, any provision that requires sick days to be provided for. Virtually every other province in the country does have, in their Employment Standards Act, provision for that. And they range, five days, seven days, some provinces like Ontario uh, require there to be two paid days and then eight unpaid days, for example. British Columbia is really an outlier in that circumstance where we have no requirement that an employer provide any sick leave at all. Now, we do have the Human Rights Code that provides that it's uh, not permitted to discriminate against somebody based on a physical or mental disability. Yes. But I don't think you're fitting... I'm self-isolating because I shook hands with Trump into the category of physical or mental disability. It might be a very responsible thing to do, but and I would expect that most employers aren't going to be causing a problem if somebody needed to isolate to avoid infecting other people at work. Yeah. But this kind of legislation comes into play when there is that kind of a rub. And so that was discussed in that large report that was prepared, but there has been no legislation dealing with this issue. And it strikes me that in the current environment, this would be something which um, should be considered immediately, um, how that should be handled and how broad that should be. Because we've had this federal announcement that they're going to permit people to make uh, unemployment insurance claims with no waiting period yes. where they're required to isolate. Now, that's not much help if somebody had a tyrannical employer who said, well, that's fine, but you're fired, right? Yeah. And so that's how uh, a prompt amendment to the Employment Standards Act dealing with this issue, um, I think at very least, should be considered. Now, there has been pushback on that, and one of the things identified in the report um, was that um, it, and it's clear from studies that if you provide paid sick leave, it encourages what are described as people taking, you know, taking a sick day is the language. And uh, Statistics Canada did a study of that, in 2017, and they looked at, for example, the number of working days that somebody employed in the public sector took each year versus somebody in the private sector where they might not have as generous a sick day policy. And that difference was 13 and a half days in the public sector versus 8.4 days in the private sector. 
And so employers would point to that and say, look, uh, you've got people that are, you know, perhaps taking sick leave when they're not sick. And so that raises a whole debate about should it be paid? Should you have to have a doctor's note or not have a doctor's note? Um, and, you know, how long should it be and who should bear the cost of that? Um, and the reverse problem of the person taking the, of course, the taking a sick day who's not legitimately ill is described as uh, presenteeism, which is a problem with a person who's, you know, sick. And because if there's no uh, paid sick leave, the person says, look, i got to pay my rent, I'm showing up there. Yeah. And in the present context, you might make everyone else in your workplace sick. But this, I think, is really an anomaly in BC that we haven't addressed that. We haven't decided it should be paid or unpaid, or should you have a require a doctor's note or not require a doctor's note. We just haven't dealt with that. We're sort of the outlier. And in the current context, even if it's something to be done on a temporary basis to deal with the uh, concern about the coronavirus, it seems to me that this is something the government might want to focus on. And I would expect that it's the sort of thing which, if it was done even on a temporary basis, you'd likely get some pretty broad consensus that we ought to facilitate people who are either themselves sick or need to isolate themselves because they've been in contact with somebody who is sick um, and uh, allow them to be uh, home without risk of being fired for doing so. That would dovetail, of course, with the federal announcement to allow people to make UI claims, and that would remove at least the issue of the employer who might themselves be suffering because business is down, uh, having to then uh, pay employees that weren't present. And so this, to my mind, amending the Employment Standards Act to, at least on a temporary basis, permit uh, people to take um, leave, uh, either because they need to quarantine themselves or because they are ill, would be a a wise idea, something which should be done promptly uh, and might give some uh, more meaning in British Columbia to that federal change saying that UI is going to be extended. So Mm -hmm. if the the government's listening, uh, it seems to me this is something a meaningful change which has been looked at uh, and we ought to consider doing something about that uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, you know, we can hope that uh, people aren't going to abuse these things and we're gonna, we can hope that most employers would act reasonably. Yes. But this sort of legislation is the fallback um, if you have people who aren't acting uh, in a reasonable and sensible way. And to my mind, this is something which uh, should be fixed promptly because it may be very helpful for public health. Is this something that could be fixed with an ordering council by cabinet or would it require members of the legislative assembly voting on the amendments? It would require an amendment. It would require a statutory amendment because in BC we have no sick leave provision in the Employment Standards okay. Act at all. Okay. You can take leave for a whole bunch of other reasons, military service, jury duty. Um, you can even do it if you need to take time off and this is important to know. If you need to take uh, time to care for a sick family member, uh, we have provisions for that. Uh, But what we don't have provisions for are people taking uh, time that they require themselves because they're sick, nor do we have an express provision dealing with uh, the issue of uh, somebody who who is not yet sick uh, but needs to quarantine themselves, right? Um, That just isn't dealt with. So... We do have provisions dealing with things like compassionate care leave. When somebody needs to take time off to deal with a a terminally ill family member, they can take time for that. Uh, There can be time taken off uh, to deal with critical illness 
they could be time taken off for parental leave. We've got a whole bunch of things here, but what we don't have is any provision for sick leave, which uh, is a, a bit of a gap, uh, nor do we have any provision which would deal with the uh, current concept, which would be, hey, you're not sick, uh, but you know you uh, just sh- shook hands with the sick. <laughs> You know, you just high-fived, uh, you know, Trudeau or Tom Hanks. Maybe you should, you know, sit it out for a little bit so you don't get everyone else at work ill. Um, and our act currently doesn't make any provision for that. That's a legislative gap, which seems to me we should be plugging pretty quickly, and I'd be hard-pressed to imagine how there'd be any political pushback uh, to getting that sorted out All promptly. Right. All right, I'm looking at the parliamentary calendar. The House isn't sitting this week nor next week, but MLAs will return to the Capitol on March the 23rd. Certainly something they should consider at that time, Michael. It seems to me. You, it seems to me this is the sort of thing in the current environment yeah. you'd be able to get through pretty rapidly. Maybe make an amendment to the current Bill 5, which is the one dealing with that, uh, the uh, leave for circumstances of uh, sexual or domestic violence. Add this in and get this passed. All right. Let's take a quick break. Legally Speaking continues on CFAX 1070. Stay with us. It's Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers as we continue with Legally Speaking. More things shutting down by the moment, Michael. That seems to be uh, never-ending, but uh, hopefully the uh, NHL employees aren't turning to the Employment Standards Act uh, uh, for some compensation, because I'm not sure it deals with that. Indeed. I'm not sure who Canucks uh, employees (laughs) would be governed by. I'd have to look that up. (laughs) I I, I only say that jokingly. I I should mention that the Employment Standards Act is designed to be the sort of legislative minimum. And many employees, if they had a contract or they're a union member, for example... Uh, might well have provisions that are much uh, more generous than what was in the Employment Standards Act. The concept of that act is to set the bare minimum. So right. uh, that's only joking. I'm sure the NHL players, they, of course, would have a contract and it would uh, it would deal with those sort of things. All right, fair enough. Our next story starts yeah. with a home inspection as part of a purchase in Parksville that showed no problems. Things changed, though. What happened? Yeah, this is, I think, a good cautionary tale for people. Uh, this was from Parksville, and the couple was buying a home there and they hired a a home inspector to go and do the inspection. The uh, home inspection cost $551.25, including GST, and that figure will be important in a moment, uh, because the uh, contract had a provision that said any claims against the inspector for errors, omissions, breach of contract, or negligence were limited to the cost of the inspection, that $500 figure. The inspector came and did an inspection of the house, didn't note any problems, spent five and a half hours doing it, um, and so the uh, couple took off the subject two conditions, completed and bought the house. Uh, very shortly after they bought the house, they bought it in the summer, come November, they discovered water leaking into the house from the sun deck, and uh, it turned into be a $350,000 problem. Wow. Uh, and so they sued various people, including the home inspector, saying, hey, you should have, uh, you know, Uh, alerted us to that problem. Uh, The home inspector naturally uh, pointed to the uh, provision of the contract that said, look, my liability is limited to that $551.25. And the trial judge agreed with the home inspector. The arguments made by the um, uh, couple that bought the home, they suggested that what happened there was gross negligence, uh, oh, okay. Now, that didn't fly because the uh, inspection was limited to a visual inspection, and that wouldn't have uh, been apparent by somebody, I suppose, looking at the sun deck. They also tried arguing uh, that 
the uh, contract provision was unconscionable. And there's some provision for not enforcing unconscionable contractual provisions. But here, the trial judge and now the Court of Appeal concluded that there was no inequality of bargaining power, right? As the the home inspector versus the person hiring them. These people weren't obliged to hire the home inspector or forced to enter into this uh, contract. And so the net result is the Court of Appeal has upheld the trial judge uh, and the uh, homeowners uh, are uh, going to be on their own uh, to pay for the $350,000 in water damage. So the takeaway for people is when you're hiring a home inspector, you're not purchasing uh, insurance effectively for your home being trouble-free. What you're purchasing for $551.25 would be a experienced person to look at it and see whether there are any sort of apparent problems with it. And if it turns out there's some issue not identified, if the contract to hire the home inspector includes a, a clause like this one, uh, you're not going to be able to recover if it turns out the home you bought was a dud or had some uh, defect in it that wouldn't be apparent by somebody walking around and looking at it. Yeah. Um, so I guess the takeaway is either carefully read the contract if you're hiring a home inspector, I rather expect this kind of a provision is going to be overwhelmingly common, um, and realize what you're getting and what you're not getting. It's not a promise uh, that your house is going to be trouble-free. It is simply somebody who's experienced looking at it and telling you whether they see a potential problem. Um, And uh, this kind of a clause, the Court of Appeal has made clear here, is going to be enforceable. Um, And so uh, know what you're getting and know what you're not getting, uh, and uh, what you're not getting uh, is a uh, insurance policy that your home isn't going to have a leaky sun deck that costs you $350,000. You don't get that for $551.25. All right, we've got three minutes left. Now, this story is very reminiscent of one that we discussed when it snowed, and you talked about to what degree do municipalities have a an obligation to clear sidewalks and clear snow, and you say that that question turns substantially on what their policies are regarding clearing of sidewalks and clearing of snow. It has to do with the town of Sydney and ice being involved. Set this up for us. You're exactly right, and this is the reason I thought it was worth mentioning, is it's an example of exactly that issue that we talked about. Uh, This was uh, occurred uh, in 2017 when there was a cold snap. It was minus 2 or minus 3. The plaintiff, who was a uh, licensed practical nurse, was walking across a a, a parking lot owned by the town of Sydney. There was a small patch of black ice. She tripped and wound up being seriously hurt. Of course, surgery, injured her shoulder, bad injury. She sued the township of the town of Sydney, uh, saying, "Hey, you should have, uh, you know, salted that or taken care of the black ice." The judge analyzed it exactly as we talked about before: is was this a policy decision, right? Do you clear the ice or not, or is this an operational decision? You've chosen to do it; you've done it poorly. Here, the judge found this was a policy decision not to clean. Uh, or clear off uh, potential ice, black ice, in the parking lot. Uh, the judge analyzed whether it was a, uh, a policy decision, saying that it was not a bad faith decision, it wasn't so irrational as to be beyond the uh, proper exercise of discretion. If this was a decision based on budgetary considerations and policy considerations to designate that sort of an area as a low priority for clearing off snow and ice. And the net result is that... Uh, this was a decision not to clean it, not a bad job of cleaning it, uh, and so the poor nurse who hurt herself slipping uh, was unable to recover any money from the town of Sydney.
So the takeaway, the city decides not to clear the ice if that is indeed the case and there is no liability, except I would suppose for very limited uh, conditions. Yeah, if you have a, you could have a, uh, you're only going to be successful if you could show that they made the policy decision to do it and they just did it very badly or carelessly and therefore you were injured. Uh, that might get you uh, some compensation. But if a a municipality decides for budgetary reasons, for example, we're just not clearing the ice and snow in the parking lot, we're going to spend all of our money on the sidewalks, for example, um, then uh, you're not going to have any claim against them when you slip and fall in the place they decided to make a low priority. All right. Sorry about that computer sound there. That was me. I just clicked something. Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers. We always appreciate your knowledge and insight as we explore the latest legal affairs news stories of the week. Any final thoughts you'd like to touch on? Well, I think we have to keep a careful eye on uh, whether the uh, government gets to it on the Employment Standards Act and uh, ensures that we have some uh, protection for people if they need to spend time at home uh, in a responsible way to keep other people healthy.